This is the Tar Road Podcast, your guide to the latest methods for binding road aggregates. Recorded April 1st, 2014, episode 52. Banishing Bituminous Blacktop. Join civil engineer Jeff, civil engineer Adam, and civil engineers Brian and Carmen as they discuss issues of interest to today's civil engineering professional. Welcome to the Tar Road Podcast. I'm Jeff of Bloomington Tar and Gravel. I'm Adam of Concrete Constructors Corporation. I'm Carmen Parisi of Obfuscated Electronics. I'm Brian of the ROAD Institute. <laughs> At the what institute? <laughs> ROAD. <laughs> <laughs> what is ROAD? It's it's road, yeah, but spe- uh, but said differently because it should be it should be pronounced ROAD. That's, that's oh, some okay. of that fancy wordplay <laughs> stuff I've heard about. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, Man, you, you college boys thinking you're so smart. Yeah, and so on the uh, on the Tar Road podcast, we talk about tar roads. Ah, oh, yeah, all roads, all the time. Except me, because I'm an electronics guy. I like them stoplights. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Adam, why in the world would anybody use tar on a road? You spent all this money. You laid down some asphalt. You made it nice and smooth. Why do people go by? Actually, do they use tar? Is that what they? Is that the stuff? The sticky stuff I see on the road in the summer? Uh, well, actually, tar is not used very commonly any longer in roads. Uh, tar was used before. Uh, the refining of asphalt or, um, petroleum based asphalts was as advanced it is, as it is now. Um, but majority of roads are now paved using a, uh, petroleum based asphalt product. Okay. But, but Adam, what is this? What is the sticky stuff they, you know, on the cracks in, in the road in front of my house? What is that? Is, is that tar? Is that something else they put on the cracks? That's people. Uh, usually it's some form of a, an asphalt product. Okay. Um, it's, it's a refined, a, the thicker parts of oil when they refine gasoline. It's the, the gunk that comes out of a barrel of oil. Okay. Well, I spent a lot of time as a kid. I, I grew up in Kansas and it got hot in the summer and, and we'd go out and, and the, that tar, what, whatever it was, we called it tar would bubble up and we'd ride our bikes through it and pop the bubbles and take sticks and poke at the bubbles and, so I spent a lot of my childhood playing with that stuff, whatever it was. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it'll bubble up like that, and it, it, it's sticky. That's for sure. <laughs> and delicious. <laughs> yeah. I put a little bit in my hair before the sock cop, so I look real nice and pretty. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I, you know, I didn't mention this before we started recording, but this is kind of a uh, – a special podcast. Do you guys know why it's special? Uh, it's number 25-ish since we started. <laughs> well, it is, but it's also number 52, which means this is the concluding podcast of our second year of podcasting. I think you're right there, huh? We released the first one, uh, the first Engineering Commons podcast, on April 6th of 2012. So we've we've been at this for two years now. Well, you've been at it for Holy two crap. years. <laughs> That's hard to believe. Yeah. Well, now I feel believe. bad I'm not celebrating with some champagne. Well, 
We, well, maybe we can find a beer afterwards. All right. Or some tar. We, we had to waste our anniversary <laughs> podcast on a, an amp hour knockoff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Apparently. <sighs> yeah. Well, and, and, and since it is towards the beginning of April, we thought we'd, uh, we'd talk about pranks, some tomfoolery. Pranking and engineering goes back, uh, quite a ways. You know, universities in, uh, in industry all over the place. MIT particularly is well known for their pranks they've played throughout the years, and the earliest reference I could find is back in 1865 uh, when the university first opened. They started doing pranks. Um, way back then, MIT used to be kind of a bit of a military school. They had some agreement where they could open the school, but the students had to do military maneuvers and marches and stuff, and so one of the first pranks was to sprinkle um, iodide of nitrogen onto the lawn where the students would practice their marching and, right. you know, as they marched over it, it would make explosion sounds. So they thought they were under attack. From <laughs> <laughs> the Confederates. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you know that, that, that pranking had to go on well before MIT was founded. Just oh, I'm, it's, I'm sure whether we have Whether we have a record of it or not. There's I'm probably I'm sure a cave s- painting somewhere. <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> Actually, wasn't the American Revolution some sort of a prank? Well, I guess you could consider the original Tea Party to be somewhat of a prank, throwing the exactly the tea there into, you go into the bay. Huh. There's always the pranking where you're trying to get a person or individual get back at them or to embarrass them. But the uh, sort of you know for these schools, uh, I, I know Caltech and MIT are big into this stuff. It's kind of become tradition now for the two schools to prank each other. You know, yeah, it's come part of the culture, which is pretty cool. But they tend to do things where they, you know, if you're just trying to embarrass somebody, that's considered kind of unimaginative or boring. Yes. Uh, and so they, they tend to like pranks that are either, you know, forms of art. Uh, we'll talk about some that are tend to be artwork or a tribute to somebody or maybe a social commentary uh, of some sort. But the idea is that you try to do it in a safe manner. Uh, it's yes. traditional that you, you provide instructions for safely uh, deconstructing the hack so that nobody gets hurt. It's supposed um, to be in good fun, not to uh, actually cause damage. Yes, although people have gotten in trouble for doing these pranks from time <laughs> to time. If they're found out. A lot of them, people don't know officially who's done it. Right. At least from the research I've done into this. Right. Well, so so what are some of the pranks that, that have been uh, carried out? Uh, well, geez, do you want to talk about just MIT? Because that's probably a whole episode in itself, but there's <laughs> there's quite a few. Well, well, we'll start with some of those, and, and uh, whatever we get to, we'll get to. All right. Uh, I, I liked back in uh, 1999, before the Star Wars prequels came out, uh, no comment on the quality of those, but they made the Great Dome at MIT look like R2-D2 using uh, tarps and canvas, which was pretty cool. And it's, <laughs> it's a reasonably big building. I'm curious as to how they got up there. Yeah, I mean, it has sort of the, uh, what is that, Greek architecture? Yeah. It, it's like it's like the cap our capital U.S. Capitol building. It has the big neo classical neo. Oh, that's Ooh. good. Ooh, are we sure we're not an architectural podcast now? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, and did they pave a tar road around the, the building? <laughs> no, that that sounds permanent. <clears throat> the dome looks a little bit like the Pantheon. Yes. Yeah, so so it has so the building has a big dome. It has this great dome, and so that's sort of been a uh, in a lot of the MIT pranks. That's been that's played a a, a uh, an uh, impressive role. Yeah, it's kind of the focal point. 
And it's, it's impressive that anybody could get up there because things seem to magically appear on top of that. Like a police roof. cruiser. <laughs> uh, yeah. Earlier than the R2D2 prank back in 1992, they put a police cruiser from uh, the campus police up on top of the roof. And it wasn't a full car. It was a, a wooden frame with, uh, I think they put some sheet metal over it. But either way, it's still impressive. Yeah. So look at the building. I was impressed by the fact that, I mean, this was a curved top. I mean, I don't know, I don't know whether it's stone or concrete or exactly what the actual roof is, but I mean, just keeping your balance going up there is pretty impressive to begin with and to be hauling, um, to be hauling a vehicle of, of whatever it's made of. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's pretty. That's pretty neat. Yeah, well, there's a lot of planning that goes into these pranks, too. They're not just done, you know, on a, a, a drunken Saturday night. They don't just hoist a car <laughs> up there or run to Home Depot and get some tarps. Um, <laughs> they're, they're, they do these well-executed. It's just as organized as any engineering project I've been on from what I've read. Um, right. They're even in it for the long haul. The one prank uh, where they played Tetris on the side of uh, the MIT Green Building, that took five years of planning. Wow. Whoa. I don't think I've been that dedicated to pretty much anything. <laughs> I mean, I graduated so, school in five years, but I didn't have one project that whole time. I got to do other things. Yeah, so, so that was that would sort of be an example of a hack that was artwork. I mean, yes. it, it, to the to the extent that they took it down and the request came from the public to put it back up. And I, a, am I correct that it still remains up to this day? Uh, I think so. I'm not 100%. But, yeah, they have used it for artwork. I know before they had the full Tetris thing uh, – up and running. They used it to display, um, you know, one of those like awareness ribbons for, I think it was breast cancer when they did a walk on campus and they did the American flag on like the 4th of July. And, you know, then a little while later they finally got Tetris working and that was when it got really cool. That's when it kind of went viral on the internet. Right. <laughs> right. And, uh, so could somebody use the building then instead of a PowerPoint presentation, they could put their bar graph on the building instead? <laughs> Well, I mean, how many column, how many windows are in that building? I mean, you only get so many bars. <laughs> I think if you're if you're more than four bars, I think you're kind of out of luck. Yes, yeah. I thought, what was the pixel? Let me open the link here. Uh, it's it very low res, not 1080p at all. <laughs> uh, the front of the building is over 100 feet by 295 feet. Uh, how many pixels? Can't find the number. Oh, 153 windows, so they had 153 pixels, 17 okay. by 9. Okay, so pretty low-res bar graph. Yes. <laughs> but, oh, man, that's cool. And it's not limited to just locally, uh, you know, the MIT's campus. They also uh, prank Caltech all the way across the country. And on two separate occasions, they've gotten into Caltech's campus and stole their... Uh, iconic cannon and transported it all the way across the country back to MIT and have displayed it on their lawn. And one time they even had a custom MIT class ring they fitted over the barrel of the cannon. Um, and this, this is not like a little tiny desktop, let's shoot some spitballs cannon. It's a multi-ton cannon that they managed to get off the campus, which is very impressive. Bend at the knees. <laughs> yeah, you get those lifting belts and... Yeah. yeah, if I understand right, they had, uh, I mean, they used some social engineering when they, when they took it. They had their own students, uh, posing as Caltech students arguing. I mean, they drove up with the truck to the cannon. They started moving it and they had their own people arguing like they were Caltech students making this fuss about you can't take this enough to 
dissuade any Caltech students from taking action yeah. because it appeared that somebody was was you know uh, trying to resist the taking of this cannon. Uh, <laughs> but, I think they also but faked they, a work order too. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I wish RIT did some of that. We uh, we had a couple minor things that went on all before my time. Actually, I've only heard about it in stories. We had a uh, a big statue put on campus, and depending on who you ask, it's either okay or ugly. But no comment from me. Um, <laughs> and it was it was made out of metal. It's called the Sentinel. And during its you know first couple months there, uh, they made little blinky light circuits and, you know, taped them to coin cell batteries and put them on a magnet and they covered the thing. They threw a bunch of magnet blinky lights on it, um, made the whole thing light up, which I guess was pretty cool. And then, uh, one of the RAs my freshman year, uh, when she was a freshman the year before, she would go around campus and would, uh, knit sweaters on the tiger statues for the mascot. Yeah, so that was cool, and the one actually turned out really nice, and then the administration took it down, so I started a whole movement to give uh, give Richie the tiger's name, uh, give Richie his sweater back, but as far as I know, <laughs> nothing ever came out of it, but it seems like small potatoes compared to some of these. Right. Well, when I was a, a freshman at uh, college, I had a, uh, a guy across the hall that decided he wanted to prank his roommate. But uh, remember, we were freshmen, and he didn't have a complete understanding of electricity at this point. So he wanted to do the classic shock the roommate coming in the door when the roommate hits the, uh, you know, grabs the door handle. Please tell me he didn't use mains. Please tell me he didn't use mains. So uh, he took his, uh, he had a, what, what I'd call an immersion water heater. You know, it'd be the little coils you'd stick into your cup full of water to heat it up for tea or coffee, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he clipped that, and so he had the two wires uh, going back to the plug, and he plugged the thing into the wall and then took the two wires and attempted to put them across the same brass doorknob. <laughs> Shorted it out, at least. <laughs> yes, so... Those who have a better, say, past freshman level of understanding of electricity understand that you'll short that out. And indeed, he blew the fuse and shut off all the lights uh, in the dorm on that floor. <laughs> sure, he made a <laughs> lot put, of friends that day. And 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 put two little and put two little uh, little bite marks in the uh, in the brass doorknob. <laughs> so, uh, and so that's sort of a prank gone bad. He didn't really understand the uh, the physics of what was going on, but uh, we t- we teased him about that for years afterwards. I, I can I can safely talk about this now. It's been nearly forty years, and the building has been renovated inside. No one would ever find the doorknob these days. So. I think the statute of limitations on that is you know, <laughs> five six safe. years tops. So yeah. <laughs> See, and he already had a great prank. He could have recreated Home Alone by just hooking up the heater right to the doorknob and then, uh, you know, <laughs> frying his hand like Joe Pesci got happened to him in the first one. Because, you know, the movies don't exaggerate the damage. That's all exactly true, right? Right. Right. I, perhaps just as well that, A, he didn't uh, he didn't burn his roommate's hand and, B, didn't shock his roommate. <laughs> yes, that could have ended much worse. <laughs> that could have ended worse, yes. Yeah. <sighs> so, besides MIT... Um, Going back to other other schools, not to derail us, but if anyone else did any pranks in college, feel free to fire them off. Um, Cornell had a pretty good one too. They put a, a big pumpkin 
on top of the spire for one of their main buildings on campus, and it actually stayed up there for several months before it was removed. Um, they actually had to build scaffolding around the uh, around the spire just so it didn't hit anybody when it fell. And no one expected it to last that long, but when they did uh, an autopsy of the pumpkin, they found out that they had uh, hollowed out the pumpkin before, so it, it, the way it rotted, it made it just kind of leathery and not uh, just decompose into a pile of mush. So so this really was a pumpkin. It wasn't a imitation. Yes. No, it was an actual pumpkin. Um, and they also did, uh, they determined that before it actually fell, they used uh, the biology department, I think it was. It's in the link we'll put in the show notes. They they floated a balloon up there and took a sample <laughs> just to make sure. <laughs> right. um, and I, I'm pretty sure to this day no one knows how it actually got up there because it's, it's pretty high and it's a spire too. So it's not you just open up an access door and you're on a roof. Right. But I mean, that's the magic of a, a great prank where it happens and no one ever discovers how it happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew the girl who was knitting tiger sweaters, and all the tigers were, you know, first floor stuff. <laughs> <laughs> There's no death defying stunts, but it's still pretty cool to see. Right. Let's see. And then sometimes it can get a little crazy. This one could have ended up uh, much worse than your roommate's doorknob execution. The University of Chicago built a working nuclear reactor in a shed. Um, <laughs> and it was found during a scavenger hunt because they slipped it into the clues. Well, yeah, the University of Chicago scavenger hunt is legendary. Um, and I think that case, they built a quote-unquote functional breeder reactor. I remember reading about these during engineering school where it was, uh, you know, you'd have items on the scavenger hunt, like find the most radioactive spot on campus, mm-hmm. you know, uh, get a grave rubbing from all of the Nobel Prize winners that taught at the University of Chicago, or maybe graduated from. Uh, I'm looking at some notable items here. Uh, real live breathing elephant, 500 points. <laughs> a brew reactor built in a shed, 500 points. Yep. Stradivarius violin. I think at one point there was a, you got a certain number of points if you could build a... A Stradivarius? Uh, I, no, Einstein's, <laughs> uh, Einstein's wood-fired refrigerator. Huh. Interesting. Because cause in addition to general relativity, I believe Einstein invented a, a refrigerator that worked off of wood. <laughs> wow. That's cool. Don't know if that one was completed, though. Well, I, but I guess all those things could be found in the Chicago area. It's not like you're, you know, in, in the middle of farmland, you're looking for a Stradivarius or looking for an elephant. Those things would be available somewhere in the city of Chicago. Yeah, the nuclear pile's a bit... Uh, <laughs> Iffy. That's right. cool. That, that one would be hard to do today, um, not only because you'd probably wind up on several watch lists, but uh, yes. <laughs> they got their they got the thorium uh, that they, you know, once it reacted, turned into weapons-grade uranium. They got it from scraping the insides of vacuum tubes, which, um, you know, I mean, I've only been an electrical engineer for a few years, but I, I believe vacuum tubes have fell out on a fashion. They're a little harder to find these days, yeah. Yes, yes. Actually, I believe you can – at one point, thorium was used in uh, – the little bags that are inside of uh, lanterns. Really? Yeah. Or I don't not. think thor- thorium is not all that rare, and I don't think it's all that radioactive. But uh, let me see. Wikipedia will fill me in. Yes, go go check the inner tubes, see what they say. Wikipedia never lies. I vaguely remember uh, thorium being about as rare as lead. Uh, it is at least three to four times more abundant than, than uranium in Earth's crust. Why not? (laughs) 
Also used in TIG welding. In what kind of welding? TIG. Oh, TIG. T-I-G. Okay. Oh, man. So I found a uh, a gap in our research here. We're, we're slipping. <laughs> we we have all these pranks on from MIT on to Cornell, but do, does anyone know of any from Ke- – or not Cornell, MIT to Caltech. Uh, does anyone have any Caltech to MIT pranks? Because uh, the I, I Rose mean, Bowl were, I, game was against some Washington college. It wasn't MIT. Well, yeah, but Caltech doesn't have a football team. True. So they they're when they uh, they do things, they're always uh, teasing. Uh, they're always teasing MIT. So they did uh, one of one of Caltech's pranks was in the nineteen sixty one Rose Bowl game. Um, I think it was University of Washington was playing, which which was the Pac uh, was it Pac ten at that time. I can't. Uh, they've changed so many numbers, but I, don't I think it was Big golf. Ten. I, <laughs> I thought it was Big Ten against Pac-10 at the time. Uh, but anyway, Washington, a different, a Pac-10 team was playing and, uh, you don't see it much anymore, but at the time it was fashioned for the, uh, for the student section to have a card, what they call a card section where the students would hold up cards and they would have a, you know, they'd have five or six cards of different color, you know, a different color on each side. And they would have a little chart that would tell them what, you know, when we do card number, you know, we do display number seven, hold up your yellow card, your blue card or whatever. And this way, everybody else in the stadium would see a message, you know, and it'd be a message like, you know, go yay team, that kind of thing. And so Caltech knew that this game was going on. And so they snuck in and got a hold of the lists and, and then, uh, redistributed all the lists. And so then, uh, during the game, when they would say show display number seven, it would say things that, you know, it would be go team, but it would be backwards or upside down, or they did something. And, and towards the end of the game, they finally, uh, they revealed who had done this because, you know, one of the last displays, the, everybody, all the students put up their cards and it said Caltech. And so <laughs> there was no question who had snuck in and, uh, and done that. And so a number of years later, uh, that was 1961 before there were, uh, you know, uh, the massive electronic displays you see these days at, at uh, arenas and stadiums. Uh, but more recently, and I can't remember quite the year, uh, they did the same thing there at the Rose Bowl and they somehow hacked into the stadium uh, display <laughs> and displayed the scores being, you know, uh, Caltech 39, MIT 9, something like that. So, uh, yeah, so Caltech has gotten back at uh, MIT a few times, although I don't believe they've, uh, they've stole anything quite as big as the cannon. That's still pretty good, though. I mean, that's trying to get a bunch of people coordinated to spell out Caltech and whatnot is no easy feat. Uh, right. And actually, that one that one's been recreated uh, in a modern day setting too. Uh, way back in oh uh, seven, Zug dot com, which is kind of I don't even I think it might be defunct now or on the outskirts like MySpace or whatever. But it's a comedy website or whatever. Uh, Prank the Super Bowl. They had these little, you know, LED necklaces that they were going to have the crowd turn on at certain times and spell stuff out. Mm-hmm. And they managed to oh, get no. in post 9-11 and everything and rearrange the cards or whatever and give the instructions. So it spelled out Zug.com instead of one of the messages that it was supposed <laughs> to. <laughs> and uh, it, it cost $40,000 in equipment and legal fees. And uh, the lead prankster, the guy from Zug, John Hargrave, uh, he had to take a second mortgage out on his home. <laughs> Wow. So that's that's dedication right there. But it was worth it. But yes, the that one that one still lives on occasionally. You can see people do that one. Right. Right. Well th- So you, you asked about Caltech. Uh 
did anyone see the movie Real Genius? With, uh, oh man, who played Knight? I've, uh, I've heard of the movie, but I haven't watched it. I've seen it, nothing it, in terms it's, of movies. It's been a number of years, yeah. Val Kilmer. It was, I believe, his first or second movie. Uh, it's famous because, or at least, I shouldn't say it's famous. It's a cult hit. It takes place at Pacific Tech, which is effectively Caltech. And I right. believe uh, there was an alumni who consulted on the movie. So a lot of the references in the movies, they're all, I believe, engineering or physics students. Uh, one of the pranks that happened in the movie evidently did happen in one of the dorms where somebody's car was disassembled and then reassembled in complete working order in somebody's dorm room. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, see, I think the swearing alone, just trying to get the car together, would have given him away. <laughs> I can't imagine how you could do it that quickly. I, I don't know either. You must have had to leave some parts out or something, but that's crazy. Now, there was one that uh, MIT pulled off uh, during a, a football game that I remember uh, from a ways back. This was 1982, but they somehow planted uh, a device in the middle of the football field and w- during the game, while the game is going, I think it was during a, a, a timeout or something, pe- the players were off the field, but this big balloon started blowing up out of the middle of the field and it said, you know, it had M- said MIT all over it. And they had like a nitrogen canister, some sort of compressed uh, gas canister underneath. And so they hit the valve and the thing started blowing up, getting bigger and bigger. And, and this is, I don't know, I'll put a link to it in the notes, but he got to be, you know, three or four or five foot diameter. And then there was enough pressure that it eventually blew up, you know, and this, it just sort of disappeared in this poof of powder. Uh, but, uh, that was, uh, that was a cool little prank. <laughs> that was pretty neat. Well, probably one of the more ambitious ones that you found was when, uh, UBC hung the Volkswagen off of the Golden Gate Bridge. That's, uh, and that was 2003 too. That's fairly recent. Yeah, there was, a, there was actually a article about that. I, th- I think that was the same one in uh, Popular Science yes. uh, in 2008 that where, and so I don't know if that's, a, so, so UBC, which I believe is University of, is it British Columbia? I think so, yeah. Well, I'll have to check that out, but uh, uh, they, uh, yeah, UB, UBC, University of British Columbia. Okay, but the school has been known for, you know, doing this for a number of years. They've got an engineering department, and uh, this has sort of become a tradition. And, and so these Volkswagen Beetles seem to get hung from various structures around the area. Uh, but th- so they uh, they allowed this uh, this reporter from Popular Science to come along and, and uh, witness what was going on. So it was sort of interesting reading through the article about how they uh, they found the Beetle. They bought it, you know, for – for next to nothing because it was rusting away. They emptied out all the internals of it so that it only weighed a couple hundred pounds, you know, reinforced the frame so it wouldn't buckle, and then went through this process of, of going to the this bridge they hung it off of uh, and checking security, you know, when people came by, and then they went out and they, they looked at this uh, the hooks or there, there were uh, there were brackets on the side of the bridge that were used during construction that they could use now for, for uh, support ropes, and, uh, you know, they had this all planned out to the minute and how long it was going to take. And, and during the process of lowering this thing down, one of the ropes hung up. And so they weren't able to, to leave it quite the way they wanted to. It had, they wanted to leave it suspended by just one, uh, wire, one rope, but they ended up leaving the three ropes, uh, the two supporting ropes they used during the process of, of putting it down because it, this rope hung up at the last minute. It got caught on the bumper, mm-hmm. but it just, 
<laughs> kind of a, a lot of work for a prank, I got to say. Oh, yeah. The police seem really amused. The, the police were not amused, no. <laughs> <laughs> there seem to be a lot of these pranks where there's a lot of engineering that actually went into the the prank and how much um, – what sort of cables they needed to use and how can you attach it. And um, I think in the article they even talked about how they got structural plans to verify that it was safe to do. Um, but a lot of these pranks really, really were quite involved. Yeah. Yeah. Like we said, they were done in jest and they weren't designed to hurt anybody. I mean, obviously a bridge collapse is real serious. So you have to have that kind of planning if you're going to execute. Depends on the bridge. Like True. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now, have any of you guys heard about the ongoing prank at Georgia Tech? No. Of, uh, of the fictitious student named George P. Burdell? I have no idea. Okay, so as best I understand this, this fictitious student was created by a student there at Georgia Tech back in the late 1920s. And he had gotten, uh, apparently, he'd gotten two enrollment forms from Georgia Tech. And so he enrolled himself, and then enrolled this fictitious student, George uh, P. Burdell. And so after he enrolled him, he signed Burdell up for all the same classes that he had. And so during his entire undergraduate career, he would do all his schoolwork twice, changing it just enough to keep the professors from catching on that this was a a fake student. (laughs) And then, and then when he had a test, he would take it twice and turn it in under both names. And, uh, by, uh, so this was, I guess, ni- 1927 was when this started. By 1930, the school awarded Burdell a bachelor's degree and a few years later also awarded the student a master's degree. <laughs> Despite no one of seeing him in person. Right. And so it's, you know, became it became known and tradition, and so there's a lot of pranks, I guess, that go on at Georgia Tech where it's it's referenced to George P. Burdell. In fact, there's a uh, there's a store in Georgia Tech Student Center named Burdell's, but that's 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 a uh, that's a lot of effort to to carry out a prank. Oh yeah, spanning the ages. Now that you mentioned, I think I read that on Crack.com. Uh, you know, the literary giant it is. Yes, I think they mentioned it in one of their articles, like probably last year for April Fool's Day. He almost got uh, two times two thousand one person of the year. Oh, really? That would have been Bird, Birdell at one point led the online poll for times two thousand one <laughs> person of the year. That's awesome. I wish he got it. So now I got to I got to back up, Carmen. So this means that you're reading Cracked dot com instead of Scientific America. Uh, you know, much after, after I'm done curing cancer and solving the energy <laughs> crisis, I like to unwind a little crack.com, yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, not religiously, but it's it's fun when I only have 10 minutes before a meeting and, uh, you know, I'm not going to get anything real work, any real work accomplished in that time. Now, as electrical engineers, are uh, you, Brian, and Carmen aware of the, uh, the Signet- Signetics uh, write-only memory prank? Uh, I feel like I've heard of it, but I'm not up on the details. So you're going to have to refresh me. Me as well. Okay. Well, I, I believe that in 1972, Signetics released a data sheet for write-only memory. <laughs> and so uh, for, for those, you know, uh, usually you have uh, either yes. read-only memory or read-write memory, but a write-only memory is pretty useless because once you've written to it, you can never figure out what 
you know, what had been done with it. So it really wasn't a very good, it's not really memory at that point. It's a, uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> black hole. It's a black hole. Yeah. So, uh, that's pretty there, good. There, so I will put a link. There is a official looking data sheet for, for this device. That sounds a bit like the, uh, Rockwell Automation Retro Encabulator. Yes. <laughs> which is uh, a famous video, uh, quasi-viral in the uh, engineering community. I think we've linked to it before on past episode. We have. have. We? Oh, yeah, I suppose you're right. Yes. Well, in case you didn't listen to that episode, it's... Uh, it's always relevant. It, it's always relevant. It's a video of Technobabble using to, uh, used to describe a product, a uh, fictitious product. Right. <laughs> I still like to throw that into some design reviews, uh, you know, with a couple designers that are in on it. They'll, with the fluorescent scoring motion? Yes, yes. Ask how many lunar ending wing shafts there are in our ship. And <laughs> <laughs> if they think we have enough magneto-reluctance. <laughs> As opposed to capacitive directance? Yeah, yeah. You, you don't need too much of that. That that hurts your efficiency. Oh, man. Yeah, I ran across a similar device. There was a company that posted a, a prank video last year on April 1st of uh, 2013 where they claim to have invented a, a device called a dissertator. <laughs> and the dissertator would take waste of all types, uh, and it could digest paper, plastic, glass, and metals, as well as waste food. And it claimed that this waste food, you didn't need any power to it because the waste food would break down in such a way that it would automatically power the device, and it would also uh, return power to the to the electric grid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in order to get it going, there's a crank on the side of the, you know, a, a hand crank on the side of the machine. And you would have to crank uh, between several days to several months to get the thing started. <laughs> and and then once it got going, the contents would be transformed. Uh, uh, glass would be converted to sand. Uh, plastics would be contro- uh, converted to petroleum. And all metals would be converted to gold and output periodically as gold bars. That's not a perpetual motion machine. <laughs> this is a perpetual motion machine. Sounds like an early version of uh, that machine I saw in that documentary, Back to the Future, where he puts in the garbage and the car can go back in time. Mr. Fusion. Yes. That was a real, that was a real product, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this sounds like an early prototype because, I mean, he got that <laughs> in the future. So it sounds like this is what led to that. So you're laughing now, but, you know, in 2015, when uh, they, they bring this technology. When I out, get my hoverboard. Well, they, uh, apparently this company lists the price uh, between 16 and $54 million per unit and still got some inquiries from people wanting to know how soon they could get a machine. So <laughs> They need it for that upcoming trade show. I would laugh, but there are now perpetual motion machines on Kickstarter. So, so is that a prank? No, <laughs> these, are, these are real attempts to fleece people out of their money. Do you, th- do you think they not, don't know any better? You can never tell with the perpetual motion machine crowd. I can't believe that they get past the um, the uh, the gates that are supposed to separate quack projects from real projects, right? Because they don't let you do three D renderings of products yeah, or of vaporware products that are you know attempts to look like prototypes. Yeah. But then again, you evidently are allowed to uh, do physical impossibilities. Hmm. So in terms of service, Kickstarter doesn't have to obey the laws of physics. Exactly. The laws of thermodynamics. <laughs> but Lisa, we do obey the laws of thermodynamics in this house. <laughs> Not in the Kickstarter office. <laughs> <laughs> 
So all these engineers who go to college, uh, you know, and they do these little pranks and then step out into industry. And at least in the IC design world, uh, there's quite a history of characters and pranks going on between companies. Um, it used to be when you would lay out your IC because you knew at some point, eventually, all your competitors were going to reverse engineer it and at least see what you were doing, if not second source or copy your chip. Uh, you'd put little messages in the layout. You know, the IC isn't just your circuit. You have to have certain uh, metal densities so the process works the way you think it will and stuff. So you have all these extra metal you have to place around. So they would put, you know, their initials in or a little message or the middle finger or something. <laughs> So for those of us that are not actively involved in, in uh, integrated circuit design, so is this like, you know, the ground plane? Is this, is this like excess? What, what are they, what are they carving these initials into? Uh, it's actual metal. So when you, when you have your IC, you know, there's the substrate and that, that you dope and you put your transistors in. And then there's, uh, you know, once you have your transistors, you have to connect, connect them to make the circuit. So. You have layers of metal, so you know there's there's metal one, and then another layer of substrate, and then metal two, and it's kind of like a, a PCB board just shrunk down to very tiny sizes um, mm-hmm. to kind of give you the brief overview. So uh, you know you can't just you know say you have three metals, uh, which is pretty common in an IC process. Um, you can't just use metal one and two for the bulk of your circuit, and then oh this one little layout thing is kind of hard to do, so we'll just put it up in metal three, and we just have a you know, one hundred micron run of metal three, that's not allowed, uh, breaks like the design rules. So you have to have uh-huh. a certain amount of each metal in the chip for a given side, die size. So that's what I mean by metal density. So say you did only have that one hundred micrometer run of metal three, you have to say get up to, you know, three, four, five, six times that, whatever that is. I'm not a, a layout engineer, but I know you have to hit certain metal densities. So you just draw in you'd put in extra ground planes or something and give yourself options so if you had to change something later it'd be easy but you know you, you could have a little fun with it too although now that practice is dissuaded and discouraged that's what i'm looking for <laughs> so i remember hearing of a habit of people putting like uh you know their school logo yes and the ic designer is basically putting um uh, you know various little glyphs into the metallization layer so that, you know, if somebody was looking, they could tell who made it. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty common to do your initials or some kind of identifying mark, but you'd also have fun with it and, you know, put the middle finger in there because you knew someone was going to reverse engineer it or at least just yeah. de-encapsulate your IC to take a look at the silicon. Now you can get in trouble for it. Uh, <laughs> nobody, nobody really likes that. There's too much liability involved. But that didn't stop us from doing it at school, and it didn't matter. Uh, <laughs> and we got we got our ICs made, so I have a little deck with my my initials in it. And so it's a problem in it. It affects the, it affects the performance of the device, um, or just people it, don't like to have to, their quality. That you know somebody was in there, kind of leaving little messages behind. It, it's yeah, kind of just seen as like unprofessional now. It's no longer the wild west days of IC design. Um, right. And and plus the layout is, at least on the chips that work, uh, very, very rarely done by just one in, one layout engineer. It's done by many engineers. And the more people you have who get to screw around in, in the metals, you know, more chances for you to accidentally short something. And then, uh, you know. <laughs> 
you can't really deny that. Well, you know, you're the only Carmen Carmen Parisi we have in the office, so these are your initials. <laughs> that's your short. <laughs> um, Which, if you have somebody you don't like. Yes, just put their initials in there. Um, so it's not a common practice anymore. I know it's it's not done because uh, I've asked about it, and they said, no, that's something we used to do back in back in the day, but not anymore. Right. So uh, are there any other pranks that are left to uh... – to IC designers these days? Uh, well, you know, you can always have fun and screw with your designers like I did um, <laughs> about a year What'd ago. What'd you do? Uh, well, you know, there's always... Oh, I remember this. Yeah, there's always some good-natured ribbing between departments. You know, you know, make fun of designers for being lazy and they don't know how to use an oscilloscope and they make fun of us because we don't know how transistors work and, you know, it just <laughs> goes back and forth. And so I was right. working on my, my part last year and the designer liked to joke that all the issues we had found so far had been applications fault because we could fix them on the board. So that meant his chip was fine. It was, it was us that were wrong. Right. So, um, I, I designed a little oscillator circuit that I stuck to the bottom of the board and it would occasionally throw big pulses into our compensation pin to make the chip look unstable. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I took a bunch of scope shots and, uh, you know, made it look, like it was only ha it was happening real bad in an area of validation that we hadn't covered yet, and uh, you know when you got to where most of our testing had done, it, it went away. And uh, I had my boss's approval, which is the only reason I did this. Um, <laughs> Good, because they they were friends, and he he wanted to make fun of them just as much as I did. So for about a day, I had him digging through schematics, looking for some kind of coupling or you know straight floating node that he he had to tie off so that would that would become stable and. You know, at the end of the day, I was like, hey, I think I got it. You know, you got to come out to the lab. At this point, there's five, six engineers just hovering around waiting to see his, his face. And I, I kind of turned the board over and I said, it looks like some kind of parasitic circuit is causing trouble. <laughs> and uh, he was a good sport about it. I had to buy him a beer. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he stopped making fun of me then, saying all the problems were my fault. I can't, I can't believe he completely stopped saying all the problems were your fault. Well, I mean, he, he cut down a lot. <laughs> oh, okay. It went from every day to maybe once a week, which right. is, uh, you know. And then, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm fired like once a week or so, usually because I haven't seen a movie at work. Someone will make a, a reference to an 80s movie, and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then I'm told to get out of here, I'm fired. <laughs> <laughs> but thankfully that only holds for five minutes, and then, right. and then I'm rehired. It's a pain in the butt. Oh, that's good. It's a pain in the butt that's to keep good. filling out all the HR paperwork, but, you know, that's life. <laughs> sure. So, Adam, are there any uh, uh, any pranks that go on with the uh, the road crews when you're building roads? Well, I had to think really hard about this, and uh, I'm sure there are some uh, with road crews that I'm not aware of and, and don't want to be aware of. <laughs> Jimmy Hoffa, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's always, well, if we, when we break open this panel, we're going to find Jimmy Hoffa. There's always talk about that. But I do know of a sort of a mythical stormwater detention pond, which was uh, – it somehow got into the plans in the shape of a goldfish. Okay. <laughs> um, and even has a little a little island in the middle in the shape of like a goldfish cracker. Um, nobody <laughs> apparently cool. said anything, and it got built that way. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Is it underground, or can you see it on like Google Maps? Uh, you could – I. You could see it on Google Maps, um, if depending on when they took it. We need some coordinates. Speaking of pranking Google Maps, I remember I can't find the link. It was a while ago. Someone had you know big acre of land or whatever, and they knew about 
how you know they knew how Google took these images, so they burned their grass in a big square. So from like the resolution of the uh, Google satellites, it would look like a dead pixel on your monitor, <laughs> 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 which is which is pretty funny. Oh man, the effort to pay off there is so yeah. disproportionate. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the guy. You had to have got somebody who's just like looking at this on a regular basis and wondering why his monitor's got this dead pixel. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Adam, did you ever see that XKCD cartoon about the highway engineering pranks? I did see that. Um, Thankfully, I don't think we've ever built one like that. Right. Um, But uh, some days I kind of feel like that would be a good idea. Right. So that we'll put a link, but for those who can't see it as they're driving down the road, listening to this right now, they've got uh, uh, they've got off off ramps that don't take you actually off. You, you, it's impossible to get off the road or loops that once you've gotten into the loop, you can't get off the loop. You just keep yep. going round and round. Um, they've got a roundabout, which the only options are head-on collisions. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, well, and some people might even say the roundabout is a uh, engineering prank that kind of stuck. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we, I, as I've talked about before, we've got close to us a intersection that's gone to, what is it a Michigan left or a Michigan right? Left. Left. And, uh, every time I come into that intersection, I know now which lane to be in, but because they're doing this, they're shifting the lanes just slightly left and right. And so when you go through that intersection, you are looking straight ahead and the signs, you're, I'm, I'm in the second lane from the left and the sign directly as I look, go through the light. Through the intersection, the the, uh, the sign directly overhead in front of me says left turn only. And then as you get through the intersection and go another 20 feet, then it jogs slightly to the right. And now the sign right in front of you says, go. you know, you can go straight ahead. You're not in the left turn only. But I can't tell you how many cars I've seen coming into that intersection suddenly trying to, you know, hurriedly make, you know, merge right because they see that sign and think that they're going to be forced to turn left. What, what was this called? The Michigan left or something? Yeah. yeah. So what they've, they've, what they've done is they've prevented the, the, the time spent with people turning left across the intersection. So oh. instead of stopping all the lanes and having people, you can't make a left-hand turn there. You can only oh, make right-hand turns. In New Jersey too. They call them jug handles. Okay. Uh, uh, it's me, a little different threw me than for a, a jug loop handle. When I went on a job interview there trying to get to the hotel. Oh my God. Nuts. Uh, this is a little different than a jug handle. You you actually go down and you do a U turn oh, instead. Okay. But yeah, it's a jug handle, same concept. Yeah, it's all just um, a prank by you civil engineers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that must be what that is. <laughs> Woke up cranky one day and you know said, "Hey, screw these people. They're getting a jug handle." <laughs> I would never do anything like that. The, the city voted to uh, block the resolution to raise your your salary, so now they're getting jug handles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, now in in the area of cars, we're kind of with traffic and roads and stuff. I, I did see one where there was a manager at the uh, toy manufacturer Lego, where he actually, he, you know, he had a full size car. He drove into work, and his his uh, coworkers came in. Drove the drove his somehow got you know the, his car keys or got access to the car drove the car away and brought a full size <laughs> replica built out of Lego and put it <laughs> in his parking space. That's pretty cool. And again, this wasn't a lightweight. They had to use a a, uh, a hoist or a, a forklift 
in order to bring in the model. It weighed so much. See, car pranks are sweet, but you need like a big office to do that. My office, you're right next to the parking lot, and most of the offices look out and you can watch the cars. So I, I get noticed too quickly. So you need like a right. separate parking bay that's like behind some trees or something. Right. But a Lego car is pretty awesome. It is pretty. I'll, we'll we'll put the link in the show notes, but it is fun to watch. So you know, there's a lot of pranks out there where you're you know you're covering somebody's office in post-it notes or tin foil, or you're converting their office into. There's one I saw of converting their office into a bathroom or converting it into a shed or you know filling it with peanuts, all that kind of stuff. But those aren't really when we were going through. Those didn't seem like they were really engineering pranks. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't there wasn't Smart. any kind of serious. They're more just prank pranks. Yeah, general pranks. I did that on a co-op to uh, one of the other interns on my first one at GE. We uh, we closed off his cubicle so he couldn't get in and filled it with balloons. Okay. So that, that was pretty funny. He's, he was a good sport about it because we also brought him donuts then. Anything's okay with donuts, right? Yeah, he was pretty happy with it. Speaking of, I got, I got, it's too late for a segue, but it's cars and office wise. Um, <laughs> back in, uh, you know, the early days of IC design, I think Bob Pease was in on it. One of the, one of their coworkers at National was always bragging about how much, uh, you know, how, how great his new car was on gas and everything. So they decided to mess with them. And again, this is where having a, a nice big parking lot where you can park far away from the building comes in handy. They would sneak every day at lunch to his car and, squirt a little more gas into his tank so he you know he would come and <laughs> keep thinking you know his car's not even using gas this is great fantastic and you know so they did that just long enough for him to get like a hundred miles to the gallon and he he firmly believed it and then he just stopped and he he was taking it to the mechanic uh you know trying to figure out what the heck was wrong with it and why it was getting such bad gas mileage oh that's awesome that would be that would be pretty funny I, that would be frustrating if that happened to me to say the least but hey, you're not paying for that gas, so really, who who won? <laughs> gas is expensive nowadays. Yeah, I wouldn't be too upset. Yeah. Um, and then Bob uh, Bob Weidler, he he did quite a few. I don't I don't know if they were called pranks. He was just a little eccentric as he worked. Um, he would always hate for his boss to yell at him for one reason or another. So he built um little holler circuit and had a little microphone and. You know, it would, it would turn on when it detected um, a, a noise that was too loud, and then it would shift it up in frequency so it was very high-pitched and then blare it back at them. So he had this rigged up in his office, and to test it, he called his boss in and got him real mad at something, so he started yelling, and then the circuit turned on and blasted high-frequency noise at him. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good, good if your uh, boss is a good sport. Oh, yeah. You could find yourself out on the street if it's not a good sport. <laughs> well, it helps if you're as good a circuit designer as uh, Bob Weidler, too. I mean, he, he pioneered a lot of firsts, so. Right, right. Well, that, that may give him a little uh, yeah. leeway. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not that cocky. <laughs> even, even Jim Williams got in on some pranks, too. They did. Uh, this is what's fun about electrical engineers. They can mess with you in a lot of ways. Um, <laughs> their, their boss was always a stickler about time. So they got into the mains and like in the outlet and built a little circuit that would uh, steal cycles from these old clocks that used to use the 60 hertz of the um, power lines for something or other. And it would, it would steal cycles going to the clock so his clock would start running backwards throughout the day. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. 
And then uh, one of our future guests on the show, um, who we'll announce later on as it gets a little closer, uh, he uh, he talked about a story just uh, not too long ago about um, someone pranking Jim Williams. I think his name was Carl Nelson, and Jim was real happy about some new chip he was evaluating, and it, it had some excellent bandwidth. I think it was some kind of temperature sensor. I forget exactly what the chip was, but he uh, he got onto Jim's board one day after Jim had left, and he wired up just one inductor in series uh, at a keynote, and you know inductors um, look like open circuits at high frequency, so it, it killed the bandwidth. And uh, <laughs> Jim spent the next part of the day, or the whole next day, like you know, trying to figure out what the heck was wrong and what he'd done differently. And uh, I guess in the end, he was a good sport about it, but had him had him steaming for a while. I don't know that I could be a good sport about that. <sighs> if, if, if it, that's a whole day of your life you can't get back. That's true, but uh, you know, if you, if you got to give it, you got to be able to take it. Right. So, so I have two relatively amusing uh, telecommunications-related ones, uh, both of which you can actually check out for yourself. Uh, there's a radio show, I believe it's still on, called Off the Hook uh, by the good people over at 2600, the Hacker Quarterly. And I believe one of their first shows, I, if I, remember, I can't remember their, if their first two shows were weird, and I, I think one of them, they literally just played Radio Moscow <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> You know, which is the guy from Moscow who has the Wisconsin accent talking about how great uh, communism is. Um, and the other one, they they had recordings of people who were doing phone freaking. Mm-hmm. And they would set up party lines and basically patch in dozens of, you know, Ma Bell operators. <laughs> and so all of these people basically just get routed in and it goes, hello, I'm here to help, you know. You know, and they're like, yeah, I'm here too. You know, what's going on? Why are we all in here? Right. Uh, that's pretty good. You can, I, I think the audio is still available. And the other one is the infamous Max Hedrome broadcast out of Chicago, which are any of you guys familiar with? I, I've heard of it before. So what year was it? Uh, so, yeah, so Max Hedrome was, that had to be back in the 80s, didn't it? Oh, it was. Uh, so it says November 22nd, 1987. Uh, during an episode of Doctor Who being broadcast uh, at 11.15 p.m., somebody hijacked the television signal that was going out over uh, from the top of the Sears Tower. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, sorry, the John Hancock Center. And uh, just played a really creepy video of a guy wearing a Max Headroom mask saying really creepy things. At one point they cut to a picture of a guy with his butt exposed, you know, <laughs> great. An unidentified accomplice wearing a French made outfit. So the, so the weird thing is, is that they never caught the person, right? No. <laughs> so somehow somebody had enough knowledge to know how, where the transmitter or where the receiver was to transmit at the right frequency to pick up on it to interrupt this broadcast for I it was a couple of minutes and and then disappear and never be found. Oh, that's amazing. So let me go back. So do you guys know who Max Headroom was? Did have you ever seen the show or have it? Oh, yes. 
Brian has. What about Adam and Carmen? Nope, this is a little before my time. Nope. If we ever want to lose listeners, we decide our show gets too popular. We could have an episode where we talk about all the things I haven't seen, and that, that should <laughs> knock our numbers down quite a bit. Well, yeah. see, the problem is you're working with too many older engineers. They they need to get with it. You need to explain to them all the hip things that they are missing. <laughs> That's true. You know, the, the rap music and the dubstep or whatever. And the Game Boys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spirographs and stuff. So you've also got uh, the 2007 Boston Bomb Scare. Does that, you guys remember that one? No, I just remember the marathon stuff. That was that was serious, but this this wasn't an actual bomb threat, right? No, this was way less uh, uh, terrifying. It sounds really familiar. So somebody decided to do a viral marketing campaign, and I'm gonna I'm gonna hose up the reasoning behind why they tried to do this. But they put together an LED board with uh, two Aquatine, sorry, Aquatine Hunger Force characters. Oh no, sorry, just one. This was for, like, the Cartoon Network or something, right? Oh, yeah. And it was literally nothing more than, you know, an array of LEDs with batteries. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the Boston Fire Department, the Boston Bomb Squad, the Coast Guard responded. <laughs> it turned into a pretty big deal. And uh, let's see, they shut down two bridges. Wow. And nobody... It took somebody inside of what the mayor's office or the police department who was young enough to figure out what the hell it was. Right. <laughs> and uh, the response was hilarious given how, I mean, it's literally just a printed circuit board with light emitting diodes on it. Yeah. But unfortunately, we live in an era where humor is not found in any of those events. No. Uh, on a lighter note, um, <laughs> <laughs> before we get too dark here, this is our April Fool's episode for crying out loud. Yeah. Supposed to be the funny episode. How can we be? How can we be too dark? We took a turn, and I, I would just say, <laughs> please, nobody do this to me. I would be so upset. Um, in, in Australia, um, there's these guys, and they broke into their friend's house when he was away with his wife, and they unhooked all his plumbing, and they tied off the pipes to the faucets to kegs. So when he came home. Uh, all his taps opened up and had beer coming out of them. <laughs> There's like a seven-minute, eight-minute YouTube video here. We'll put in the show notes. It's well worth the watch. Um, I, with the exception of the beer probably tasting funky from you know pulling all the sediment out of the pipes, um, I think that would be a fantastic <laughs> way to come home. And obviously the guy was a very good sport about it because, you know, he just has a lot of beer now. So not quite engineering, but still still pretty cool. You have to be quite the handyman, though. Right. I couldn't undertake that. Oh, I, bet, I bet with a little uh, a little time spent Googling, you could figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Maybe on a small scale. Like, maybe I could do a bathroom sink or something. A whole house would be. <laughs> that's too much effort. That would be overkill. Yeah. And, and the good thing, Carmen, is you brought up beer once again. So we've gone another episode mentioning beer somewhere oh, in the episode. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about pranked out. Does anybody else have any uh, anything we missed here? We covered quite the range. I don't have any others to add. We've hopefully uh, shared a few links that viewers or listeners can uh, go look at later on if they want. And uh, we've shared a little information about along the way about designing IC chips. And we've learned a little bit about asphalt roads. Yeah, a little, little bit of something for everybody here. <laughs> And, uh, you know, if any of our listeners have done any kind of pranks in their office, we'd, we'd love to hear about it. We'll give you a mention on our next episode. 
So feel free to uh, send us your stories. Yeah, I I almost started in and started to include engineering jokes in this one, but I decided that that would go on too long. So maybe at some point in the future we can do a we do an episode about engineering jokes because there's some the pretty deal good ones out there. Purchase orders. <laughs> yeah. Tantalum, schmantalum. <laughs> no, engineering jokes could easily be uh, probably a whole podcast series, not just an episode. That's true. The Pontiac Aztec. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, we can maybe uh, maybe save that for a future episode. Perhaps we'll be around in another year, and we can do that on April 1st, 2015. I, I think that would be fantastic. Let's, let's pencil it in. We'll put it on our editorial calendar so we don't forget. That would be terrific. All right. Cool. Well, conveniently, our hour is up right now. Wow. We're, we're actually hitting that mark uh, closer than usual. It's, it's, they're stuck with us, and we're pretty boring. We don't have a great guest. <laughs> but that, that should change. We've got a lot of guests lined up for the future. So if you're sick of just hearing us talk, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, so anybody hoping to get some serious engineering discussion, sorry. Uh, we'll be back in another two weeks with something a little more serious. And again, we, we've, uh, we've gone a few episodes without extending the invitation, but if you're a listener to the engineering comments and you'd like to come on as a guest and, uh, share your adventures in the world of engineering, we'd, uh, you know, drop us a note at admin at the engineeringcommons.com and, uh, let us know. We're always, we're always interested in people that have interesting engineering stories. I thought we had the Tar Road podcast. When did we switch? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> The Tar Road Podcast. And what will we be talking about in the next episode, Adam? Will this be uh, mixing gravel with tar? Uh, that sounds like a great topic to me. Because <laughs> there's nothing I enjoy more than driving down a road that's mostly newly, you know, gravel and newly, uh, what would you call it? Newly applied tar. And that stuff flies up and sticks to the side of your car. Just makes me very happy. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about how to make sure you get a nice, good application on the side of the car. Mm-hmm. You want good spray patterns, yeah. Yes, yeah. And, and there's got to be a science to that. I see these. I see these big vehicles that have you know the spray stuff coming out the back end that they're spraying tar. So there must there must be special vehicles for doing this. Oh yeah, it's there's quite a science to it. That's for sure. That's a topic for uh, next week. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank God we'll have plenty of stuff to talk about in in the coming episodes of the uh, the Tar Road Podcast. Can look forward to it. We'll see you guys next time, and uh, have a good week. See ya. Thanks for listening. All right. Bye. The Engineering Commons is produced in affiliation with Big Beacon, a social movement for transforming engineering education, located on the web at bigbeacon.org. For more information about the podcast you've just heard, please visit theengineeringcommons.com. Our theme music is by Paul Stevenson. And thanks to the Amp Hour for permission to use their theme music in this April Fool's edition of the Engineering Commons.